0: Love Your Neighbor, from the sermon series, Love Me, Love Me Not, spoken by Pastor Sunita Ponton. Today we are beginning a new sermon series, and the sermon series is entitled, Love Me, Love Me Not. In this series, we will be exploring what love means and how to love well. We throw around the word love so much that I think oftentimes it loses its meaning, Right? and yet love is fundamental to who we are as Christians. We are created in love by God who is love, and we are saved because of love and we are called to love. And yet as lovely as that all sounds, it can be overwhelming and it can be difficult. Some of us don't feel loved. Some of us know in our minds that we are loved by God, but we haven't quite been able to fully experience that and believe that in our hearts that we are actually beloved children of God. Some of us struggle with how to love others, and some of us are bitter or hardened because of maybe the damage done to us in the name of love. So we are going to try and tackle as much as we can in this series over the next two months, and we begin today with the topic, love your neighbor. How do we love our neighbors well? So if you have your Bibles with you, or if you can watch it behind me on the screen, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. And here reads the word of God. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So the book of Galatians is actually a letter that Paul writes to churches in this region that he helped found when he was doing his missionary journeys. Paul is writing to a church where there had been some false teachers who are now demanding that the Gentile Christians fulfill aspects of the Jewish law to prove their salvation. So they thought that Old Testament practices were still binding on the church, specifically circumcision. Paul is telling them that Christ has died for them to live free of the burden of the law. And in his discussion about how we come to be saved by Jesus alone, Paul says that we do not have to carry around the baggage of the law, but that we are free to live by the spirit of God. But that freedom is not to do whatever we want to do. Rather, we are actually to use our freedom to serve others' people. He tells them that the true spirit of the law is bound up not in rituals or in lists or what to do and what not to do, but the true spirit of the law is love. And here specifically, to love our neighbors. So Paul says, the entire law is fulfilled in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we've heard this before. Paul is referencing back to Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18, but he's also echoing the words of Jesus, right? So if you have your Bibles in Matthew 22 verses 35 through 40, we see this. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him, meaning Jesus, with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Um, can we keep those verses up? Because I want to show us something here. Jesus wants his audience to know how important loving one's neighbors is. And I think we need to pause for a minute to consider it. Do you understand that the only thing more important than loving your neighbor is loving God? Did you catch that? The only thing more important than loving your neighbor is loving God. That's how important it is. The greatest commandments that Christ gives us, Christ gives us, is to love the Lord our God with all our mind, soul, strength and heart, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's a non-negotiable. We are to love our neighbors. And the love we demonstrate for our neighbors comes from the love that we have from God and for God. So we can't take this lightly and it's not like an optional thing that we can pick and choose about. In fact, loving our neighbors is how we imitate God. In 1 John 4, it says that God is love. And the best way that we can demonstrate that we can imitate God is by loving our neighbors. So Paul is reminding the Galatian churches and he's reminding us to love our neighbors. And so the question is how do we do this? How do we love our neighbors? First, we love our neighbor in freedom. We love our neighbor in freedom. Verse 13 says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Remember, Paul is talking to churches made up of people from all different backgrounds. Some had been Jewish and had observed all the laws and the ordinances of Judaism, and they had now become believers in Christ. But then there were Gentile Christians who knew nothing about the Jewish law and still came to believe in Jesus. But false teachers were telling them that they were still bound by the law, particularly circumcision. So Paul says, no, you don't have to be bound by the law. Christ has made you free. In fact, a few verses before, Paul says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We are free because we are called by God. And that freedom frees us up to love our neighbors. And so Paul says, let's really talk about what it means to be free. Contrary to what you think, freedom doesn't mean that you can do anything you want. True Christian freedom is freedom to love and freedom to serve. Christian freedom is submitting to God's love for him and for neighbor. It is not licensed to do whatever you wanna do because actually following our flesh is a sign that we are still in bondage. We are still in bondage to our own sinfulness and we cannot stop. We are in bondage to the will of the enemy and we won't let it go. Doing whatever you want to do because you believe that God has set you free is actually not free at all. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We can't claim to be free and then live in bondage to sin. Paul is saying that Christian freedom is being undermined when we live by our flesh, particularly our selfishness. C.S. Lewis, the author, will say it this way, hell is the greatest monument to human freedom. Everyone doing what they want, when they want, how they want, with no regard for God or others, this is the making of hell. Our sinful flesh assumes that freedom is intended for our personal or our selfish use. But freedom isn't about throwing off all moral restraint and doing what you want to do. That's confusing freedom with free reign or license. And we know what this looks like. The first time you were able to drive a car on your own, where did you go? I was afraid of my mother. So it merely meant that I just took the long way home from the grocery store, right? But how many of you, when you got those keys in your hand, you were ready to go, right? Because you had the freedom to drive. Or or what about when you went to college? I won't ask you to tell the stories. But how many of you lived freely because you were no longer under your parents' supervision? You were grown, or or so we thought we were grown, right? Staying out all night, clubbing, drinking, out with anyone we wanted, doing anything we wanted to do. But how many of us came to realize that with freedom actually comes responsibility? You're free to drive. You are not free to wreck the car. You're free to hang out. But you are not free to fail out of college, at least not in my house when my parents were paying for it. We had freedom, but hopefully you came to understand that that comes with responsibility. God gives us freedom in Christ and he never takes that freedom away, but it comes with responsibility. Loving others is our responsibility to demonstrate the love of God to the people around us, but it's also our privilege as free people in Christ, we get to show a dying world about a risen savior. We get to demonstrate the love of God to people who may not have ever experienced it before. Not only is that our responsibility, but it is our privilege in Christ. It comes from our hearts, from a heart of a people who've been transformed by the love of God. And transformed hearts, they don't need to-do lists. But I think the challenge sometimes of sermons is that we want a to-do list. We want to know what we can do to ensure that we can check the box, that we have loved our neighbors well. And we're not the only ones who do this. We see this in the Bible. In the Bible, men approach Jesus all the time and they ask questions like, how do I inherit eternal life? And questions like that lead Jesus to tell stories like the Good Samaritan where he tells this story and I'm not gonna spend too much time on it because we spent a lot of time on it when we did our Justice um, uh, Bible study, our small group series a few months ago. But if you wanna read the full story, you can find it in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. But in short, Jesus tells the story of a man who was left for dead by the side of the road. A priest passes him by and doesn't help. A Levite passes him by and doesn't help. But a Samaritan who was from an ethnic group that was hated by the Jews, not only stops to care for this man, but he puts him on his donkey and he, he takes him to an inn and he pays for all of his care, everything that he needs. And that story is prompted by a question asked of Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think a lot of us find ourselves with questions like that. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to prove that I love my neighbor? But loving is not a set of rules. It's not a list to check off. Freedom to love is different. It's free to be personal and generous. It is free to be spontaneous. It's a way of being. It expresses itself in the most that we can do for someone, not the least. Think of the Ten Commandments. The rule says you shall not murder, but love. The true spirit of the law says, yes, you didn't kill someone. That's good. But did you contribute to making this person's life better? The law says you shall not covet your neighbor's animals or wife or houses. Yes, that's good that you're not envious of them. But do you celebrate the goodness that God is doing in their life? Can you congratulate them for their blessings? When we seek after rules like a to-do list, we're trying to do the bare minimum. But love, free love, is to do the maximum. This is why we can't ask the question, who is our neighbor? When we ask that question, what we're really trying to ask is, who do I get to exclude? Right? But love says, how can I include everyone? And Jesus puts this all to the test when he he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. One of the most hated and unlikely people in that time was a Samaritan, and he came to the aid of a Jewish man. And for for Jews at that time, their neighbor was only someone who was like them. But Jesus says no. When he tells this story, Jesus is telling us that there are no barriers to who our neighbor is. It's not class. It's not race or ethnicity. It's not gender. It's not socioeconomic status. It's not condition of life. Nothing. To let burden stop us. Would to be prevent us, would prevent us from loving people freely. Everyone is your potential neighbor. The person sitting next to you in church, the person whose political ideology you do not, you do not agree with, the person who's standing in line in the grocery store, who's taken forever, that person's your neighbor too. Whoever God places in your heart or in your path is your neighbor. Poet Maya Angelou says it this way, love recognizes no barriers. It jumps hurdles, it leaps fences, it penetrates walls to arrive at its full destination full of hope. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? And that's what he invites us to to love freely and fully out of the freedom that we have found in him, to go to the ends of the earth to demonstrate our love. That is freedom to love our neighbor. But second, we are to love our neighbor with humility. We're to love our neighbor with humility. Look back at verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Paul says we need to serve one another humbly in love. The NRSV says it even more straightforward. But through love, become slaves to one another. We are to become slaves to one another Now, in some ways, this seems contradictory because I just told you a minute ago that we are to love people in freedom. And now I'm telling you that we have to become slaves to one another. But the difference is that we willingly serve out of love from God and for God. We understand that bound up in love is service. Now, if service is the action, then the posture underneath that is humility. The posture is humility. This is why Paul says that we should serve one another humbly in love, and we have no better example than humility and service through love than Jesus Christ himself. Turn with me to Philippians chapter two, verses three through eight. Philippians chapter two, verses three through eight. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset in Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus shows us that humility is unselfish concern for other people. It is service for the benefit of others. It is giving of yourself on behalf of others. It means putting the needs of other people first. This is how we, to, we are to love our neighbor. It means we have to p- intentionally pay attention to the people around us. Now, to be quite honest, I don't think that we intentionally harm other people or hurt other people. I just think we don't see them. I think We fail to see people. We just don't pay attention. We walk with our heads down in our phones, scrolling to avoid having to look at people. We look straight ahead to avoid someone possibly making eye contact with us. We walk fast, hoping that no one stops us to talk to us. But the only way we are able to truly love others is if we intentionally take the time to see them. We started our our men's and women's Bible studies this week and if you'd like to join us, please let one of the pastors know you still have time to get in. And I heard the men's Bible study is going well but the women's Bible study is awesome, amen? Amen. And on Tuesday, at the conclusion of our Bible study, one of our elders, Lisa Ra, who was one of the leaders of the Bible study, before we got off the call, she said, just stop and look at each other. Just look at the screen. Look at everyone's names. Take it in. And just look at each other. And that was so powerful because all of us want to be seen. All of us want to be noticed and to be recognized that we matter. Maybe the way that you need to love someone this week is by stopping long enough to see someone else. Paul says that we should not use our freedom to indulge our own flesh. Our flesh is our sinful nature. It's our our fallen nature. It's it's in opposition to the Holy Spirit. It is the center of human pride and indulgence and and self-centeredness. It is living from your own self rather than living from God. He instructs us not to live from self-centeredness, but to live serving others in humility Just as Christ showed us, humility is not centered on ourselves. It's centered on the other. This is why we have to understand that our freedom in Christ is not to live to please ourselves and fulfill our own needs, but to live loving God in service to others. The opposite of of self-indulgence and fulfilling the flesh is love. It's love that looks away from the self and its own wishes to the concerns and the needs of others. Humility means that we see the other not through a lens of of our own preferences or through the lens of a person's brokenness or sinfulness, but rather we see our neighbor as Christ saw him, as Christ sees them, a beloved child of God, so beloved that they are worth dying for. They're worth loving with everything we've got. And let's be honest, this is hard work. It's hard to love our neighbors. It requires pushing ourselves beyond our own comfort levels and beyond what we believe is our capacity. It requires patience and grace and forgiveness and then patience again and more grace and more forgiveness and it's inconvenient and it's messy and it requires us to operate outside of ourselves. We are inclined to be selfish. And so to to love someone with humility goes against our human nature. And our world, it, it tells us that we're crazy when we care about other people. But what I'm saying is that we can't be so fixated on our own preferences and our own desires that there is no room left to love other people. This kind of love may be hard for some because it forces us to deal with our own selfish tendencies. Now, to be honest, I wrestle with my own selfishness. Some days I'm better than others. I have wrestled with my own quirks and preferences that kind of get in the way of me truly loving my neighbor the way I should. I'm certainly much better than I used to be. If you'd have seen me as a teenager, it was bad. Okay, but I'm much better than I used to be. But even now, sometimes, that selfishness comes back and it slaps me in the face and I thought we had gotten rid of it. Just this week, as I was working on this message, Nah, our bookkeeper and, and, and uh, who also works in our, our student ministries, She dropped off some mail to me, and um, one of the envelopes was from a a letter from one of our brothers at East Jersey State Prison. He's a wonderful man, Um, Reverend Fairley, he's a musician and a a singer and a preacher, and he wrote to ask for prayers because he's having some medical challenges, and they can't quite figure out what's going on with him. Well, whatever it is, it requires him to get uh, blood transfusions. But because of the national shortage of blood, instead of him being able to kind of go one time and get what he needs, he's had to go every week because he's only able to get a unit at a time. And so he asked for my prayers. And as I was reading this letter and thinking about my message, it was like a ton of bricks hit me. God was convicting me through his mess, through the letter as I was also writing this message in that same time frame, you see, I used to give blood regularly, but I stopped. But I didn't feel bad because I felt like maybe the blood that I would have given would have gone to Reverend Fairley. Like, I know that's not how things work. I felt convicted because the reason that I stopped giving blood had nothing to do with me being afraid of needles. I'm not squeamish, it wasn't about my schedule, or even being afraid of COVID. And I cannot believe that I'm saying this out loud. I'm so embarrassed. The reason I stopped giving blood is because the organization that I used to donate through changed its policy. And I was no longer able to just call and make an appointment. This happened a few years ago. I was no longer able to just call and make an appointment. They now required me to set up an account and made a password. I hate setting up new accounts. I hate trying to figure out a new password with like eight characters and numbers, uppercase, lowercase, special characters. I hate it. I absolutely hate it, if you can't tell. (laughs) And as I was reading this letter, though, I realized that my pettiness, my selfishness, robbed me of the opportunity to love my neighbor. Because I understand how important it is to give blood, that's why I started doing it years ago. But I stopped because of minor inconvenience of having to set up an account and a password. My preference, my self-centeredness got in the way of me loving my neighbor. Now, you might think that this is just like a little thing, but here's the thing. The little things become big things because they become habitual if we don't stop them. So, so if you're like me and you struggle with your own selfishness, I, I'm going to ask you this week to take some time to pray about it with God, sit with God and find out why do you do what you do? Why do you decline to do some things? I'm going to challenge you to do something anonymous for someone. I'm going to challenge you to do something for someone who can't return the favor for you. I want you to be willing to be inconvenienced. This month, we are celebrating Black History Month, and we've decided to do a Buy Black Challenge, and, and we are asking you to patronize at least one black business a week for the month of February. Now, I know that this might be inconvenient for some people. The list is on our web page, you can get to it on the app as well, and it might be inconvenient to use a product or a service that you've never used before, or to try a new restaurant. But in this way, if you can get over your inconvenience, it's a demonstration of loving your neighbor. We like to make loving our neighbor so complicated And it's not. It's rarely as dramatic as finding a man on the side of the road and deciding if you're going to help him or not. That's not really what's going to happen. Most likely, it's our daily interactions, our daily encounters, our daily decisions that determine whether or not we truly love our neighbor. We love our neighbor with humility. So we love our neighbor in freedom. We love our neighbor with humility. And finally, we love our neighbor as ourselves. We love our neighbor as ourselves. Look at verse 14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love others with the same care and diligence that you would use for yourself. So if humility is the posture, then loving your neighbor as yourself is the standard. There is nothing that we wouldn't do for ourselves. And we are to love our neighbor without limits as well. Now, again, this doesn't mean kind of loving your neighbor without boundaries and and healthy boundaries like you should have. We're not talking about that. But generally speaking, we don't hate ourselves. We probably indulge, indulge ourselves too much. But if you are struggling to love yourself, please know that you are lovable and worthy of love because God said so. And any voice that tells you otherwise, whether it's from a man or a woman or even sometimes the voices in our own, he- in our own heads, If somebody is telling you that you are not worthy of love, that is a lie from the pit of hell and you need to send it back there. God created you and he loved you enough to die for you. And if the sovereign Lord, the creator of heaven and earth says that you are his beloved child of God and are worthy of love, then that settles it, that ends it, that is the truth. Now I know it's still hard sometimes to receive that. And so in two weeks, we're going to be talking about how to love yourself. Well, and I make please make sure you're back for that. Pastor Peter will be preaching that sermon in two weeks, but we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is the standard with the same love and care and diligence and passion and depth that we love ourselves. You wouldn't shortchange yourself. Don't shortchange other people. We we know what this is like. We've been hearing it since we were little, the golden rule. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Loving others as ourselves, it looks like grace when someone cuts you off on Route 4. It means mercy. When you have the opportunity to give back to someone what they've dished out to you. It means recognizing the God in others. It means remembering what lawyer Brian Stevenson says, that none of us is the worst thing we have ever done. It's recognizing the image of God in another person and operating from that place. How would you want someone to relate to you? That's the standard. You come into church every Sunday and you see someone sitting alone and they walk in and out and no one ever speaks to them. Is that the experience that you would want? You're in the grocery store and you see a child do a full on meltdown in the grocery store. Do you criticize the parenting skills of that parent? You wouldn't want that done to you, though. (laughs) You see someone on social media, and they say something that you know is absolutely ridiculous. Do you call them an idiot in the comments? That's not how we would want (laughs) to be treated. I get you, it happens though, it happens. But we really have to ask ourselves, can people prove that we are Christian by how we act and how we live? If they examined how we treat people, would they know that we are bound to love our neighbors as ourselves, especially on social media? Christians are unrecognizable. And I'm not talking about like when you, you know, post the Bible verse of the day or you repost a a Christian meme or something. I'm talking about the words that come out of your mouth or your fingers, right? How are we demonstrating that we love our neighbors as ourselves? How can we love our neighbors as ourselves? Don't you wish somebody would intervene to make your life a little bit better? Don't you wish that someone would help make your life a little bit easier? How can you make life better for someone else? I had a neighbor who lived across the street from me when I was growing up, and this woman was wonderful. Uh, She has now uh, since passed away, unfortunately, Um, but well into her 80s, this was Mrs. Holiday, April Holiday, well into her 80s, she would walk up and down the street picking up fallen tree limbs. She would sweep people's driveway. She would remove the garbage cans and bring them close to the home, you know, cause the trash collectors would keep them by the, the curb. And she was the nicest woman on the planet. So sweet and, and soft spoken and humble. And she would call people to check on them. And, and she just generally cared for the neighborhood. She wasn't rude or intrusive. She was just kind. She didn't ask anything of anyone else. And when she died, the church was full of the neighbors because everyone had experienced her the same way. And they were the fruit, right? They were the demonstration. They had experienced her love for them. Whose life can you make just a little bit sweeter? by loving your neighbor as yourself. We just had a huge snowstorm. Did you shovel somebody's snow? Or did you do like my neighbor and allow the people he paid to put all of his snow in my parking spot? <laughs> did, you, did you check on someone? Did you make sure that they had something to eat? They had food, they had company? How can you love someone the same way you love yourself? So we love our neighbors in freedom, with humility and as ourselves. But what if we don't? What if we fail to love our neighbors? Paul provides us a warning if we don't love our neighbors. Look at verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. The warning Paul alerts us to is that if we don't love our neighbors, we will kill each other. And he uses this like savage imagery. Now the Galatians are not actually biting and devouring each other. That is gross and that is cannibalism, right? That didn't really happen. But he uses this like exaggerated language because he says, where there is no love, savagery breeds. The Christian community will go to pieces. Our world will fall apart. And isn't that what we're seeing right now? Our inability to love our neighbors in our world. When we fail to love each other freely, humbly, and as ourselves, it's not self-preservation. It's actually annihilation. And isn't it interesting that the danger that Paul points out is not the danger that most of us fear. Most of us are afraid to love because we're afraid of being hurt or we're afraid that it won't be reciprocated or appreciated, but Paul says that's not the true danger. The true danger is that if we don't love each other, we will kill each other. When communities fail to love, we release. This demonic presence in our communities that destroys communities and individuals. But if we can get loving our neighbors right, especially in the church, we become a source of hope and healing for others. We demonstrate transformation when we love our neighbors so I heard this Bible scholar, um, Warren Worsby, write that loving our neighbors solves every, human, solves every problem in human relations. Loving our neighbors solves every problem in human relations. And when I first heard that quote, I thought he was exaggerating. I was like, that is nice. But if you think about it, he's true. Loving our neighbors solves every problem in human relations. Imagine if we loved our neighbors. If we actually loved our neighbors in freedom, with humility, and as ourselves. There wouldn't be homelessness because we would care enough to pay people a living wage. And we would provide them with the services they needed to live healthy and stable lives. There wouldn't be arguments over wearing masks because we would bear the minor inconvenience for the sake of keeping our neighbors safe. There wouldn't be murders of young black men and women because law enforcement would see the image of God in the other person. There wouldn't be corporate greed because we would not try to defraud one another so we could make more money. Imagine if we followed the example of Jesus. Jesus already did the work. He showed us how to do it. He loved us enough to die for us, and he solved every problem. We've just got to live into it. We have to follow his example, not to die because he already did that, but to live lives of love. Imagine if we loved like Jesus, that in freedom to love, we didn't count the cost or seek to do the least, but we gave all of ourselves to love our neighbor. That in humility, we considered the needs of our neighbors greater than our own. And as ourselves, we set the standards so high that we loved with all that we had. I dare you to transform the world by loving your neighbor in freedom, with humility, and as yourself. Let us pray. God, you have given us this incredible, incredible command to love our neighbors as ourselves. But God, you also gave us the example in Jesus Christ who loved us so much that he was willing to die for us. And God, you don't call us to die for one another. You call us to live in love. And so God, for my brothers and sisters who might be struggling with how to love someone, there might be somebody in their mind right now that they're like, "Uh uh-uh, I can't love that person. God, I pray that you would free them. I pray that they would allow themselves to be free. To love in freedom. To love with humility. Thinking of others more than themselves. And to love others as ourselves. With the standard set so high that we actually transform the world. God, we thank you for this this awesome, awesome responsibility, but even greater privilege to show the world your love. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.